Oh, the weather outside is frightful, and the fire is so... No, that's wrong. It's but the fire is so delightful. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've got nowhere to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Welcome to a special Christmas edition of the Pinocchio Project. This is your host, Mitch Friedman. And I know that I said uh, that season two had wrapped and you wouldn't see us again, literally see us again until early January when we start our video portion of the podcast. Uh, Some things have grabbed my attention as we move into the Christmas season, and they're typically there every Christmas season and Easter season too. I call them CEO events, Christmas, Easter only events. So I thought that I would uh, drop a couple of Christmas edition podcasts on you, Um, again, based on my attention to what I would call CEO journalism, Christmas and Easter only journalism events. And uh, two pieces of journalism have been rotating uh, through Western culture for some as long as a couple of three decades. Uh, And then they've been republished. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of the Time Magazine expose on Jesus, the the whole publication is dedicated to Jesus. It's under the particular title, which makes it more appropriate to Easter, uh, why did Jesus have to die? And that's been uh, rotating through uh, for about 30 years. And the most recent uh, republication was April 12th of 2004. Uh, More broadly, Life magazine uh, in a couple of uh, republications too. The most recent, December 21st of 2018, Life magazine's entire edition dedicated to, here's the title, Who Do You Say That I Am? referencing Jesus. And so I call these uh, pieces, both of these publications, uh, dedicated entirely to the life and death of Jesus. I call them CEO journalism in our culture, uh, Christmas and Easter only. Uh, So before we start, you know we like words here on the Pinocchio Project. Let's talk about journalism. Uh, Journalism is the activity or profession of writing for newspapers, magazines, or news websites or preparing news to be broadcast. And when it comes to Christmas and Easter-only journalism, uh, these pieces take advantage of the heightened excitement, awareness, uh, activity around especially Christmas. And uh, so the the journalists and the publishing houses are interested in maximizing, not necessarily a, a vibrantly authentic view of the subject, Uh, but really more cashing in on the fact that people are more interested in, in this case, Jesus, uh, than at most times uh, during their year. And I want to focus on two different types of journalism uh, that we can really evaluate these pieces from. I'm not going to read the entire magazine, of course. Uh, I'm just going to take a couple excerpts. Um, But there's a variety of types of journalism. There's investigative journalism, there's opinion journalism, Uh, There's news journalism, which you can argue uh, should be investigative. I'm not going to get into that on this podcast. Uh, There's entertainment journalism, which is huge in our culture. But I just want to, I want to focus on uh, two types, uh, the the, the first two that I mentioned, investigative journalism and opinion journalism. And and what these two uh, CEO publications 
uh, offer as a suggestion is that they're doing investigative journalism. Uh, so Life Magazine's Who Do You Say That I Am and Time Magazine's Why Did Jesus Have to Die both present themselves as investigative journalism. Investigative journalism, I'm reading a definition now. You know, I spend a lot of time looking at definitions, Jeff. Maybe I should write my own dictionary. Should I have the, how about how we do that as a, as a label? The Pinocchio Project Dictionary. Put that on the list for next year. So investigative journalism. Investigative journalism aims to uncover the truth. Say it with me. The truth about a particular subject, person, or event. While investigative journalism is based on the basic principle underlying all journalism, which is, and I say this, I, I think that they, they, see, they hold this as aspirational, that this is the basic principle underlying all journalism. This is aspirational. It's certainly not actual. The basic principle underlying all journalism, which is the verification and accurate presentation of facts, uh, investigative reporters must often work with uncooperative or recalcitrant sources who do not wish to divulge information. And they, uh, they use it as example of Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein's uh, work in the Watergate scandal, if uh, those of you who are old enough to remember that investigation. So that's investigative journalism, aims to uncover the truth with the verification and accurate presentation of facts. Investigative journalism. Now, let's define opinion journalism. Opinion journalism reports on a topic using subjective ideas rather than objective facts, ideas. What do we say about ideas, the Pinocchio Project? They have consequences. So opinion journalism, subjective ideas rather than objective facts. Opinion journalists report stories from their perspectives, including their thoughts and biases. Opinion journalism is unique from other types because the writer can include their own viewpoint. It can be important to recognize the difference between opinions and facts. Is that an understatement? It can be important to recognize a difference between opinions and facts. I would say that it's essential to be able to distinguish between opinions and facts. Going on, opinion journalism is useful in helping people understand their own opinions and values, as well as to develop a fuller picture of reality when consuming reports from multiple perspectives. I like consuming things from multiple perspectives. Uh, that's not that, that's not this definition. That was my editorial response. And finally, in opinion journalism, while some opinion journalists may align with your personal viewpoints, balancing, balancing those opinions with opposing perspectives is necessary to gain a deeper understanding and develop empathy and respect for diversity. Oh, it looks like we're getting woke a little bit in our current definition. An example of opinion journalism includes political journalists who report on political activity from their perspective. So it may not be a woke statement. So what we're going to do now is we are going to evaluate what presents itself in these two pieces as investigative journalism. But I want to point out that it actually is not. Um, this is going to be a what we call a, a deductive argument. A deductive argument starts with a conclusion and then gives you facts to prove it. So this is a deductive argument here right in the middle of the podcast. These two pieces that are so popular every Christmas and Easter uh, purport to be investigative, but they're actually opinion based on the sources and perspectives that they use to build uh, the literary content and the propositions of uh, their focus point. 
Let's begin our examination of opinion versus investigative journalism uh, with the piece from December of 2018, which is Life Magazine's republication, Who Do You Say That I Am? December of 2018, just in time for Christmas that year, to take advantage of the increased interest in Jesus over the Christmas holiday. And this is the investigative promise of Life's editors. We, Life's editors, have interviewed over the course of the past several years eminent thinkers, including historians, theologians, and clergy. I'm okay so far, depending on who these thinkers, historians, theologians, and clergy are. Are they truly there for investigation or for bolstering an opinion? We have talked as well to prominent public personalities who have had some good cause to contemplate Jesus. Uh, Jeff, you're a public personality. Do you have, also have good cause to contemplate Jesus? I thought so. His life, his deeds, and what he, what he stands for, and what he means to them, and what he means perhaps to us all. Now, what's happening as I read this, uh, because I've trained myself to be a critical thinker and examine propositions that are promising things that are solid, is I'm beginning to feel that what they're promising is pretty squishy. Uh, the testimony, it goes on, of these diverse witnesses makes one point clear. I like clarity in one simple point. You, you tell me, Pinocchio Pod consumers, is this one point only, and is it clear? The testimony of these diverse witnesses make one, makes one point clear. Whether Jesus was sent from heaven or not, is that a point, and is it clear? Would a point be, it seems Jesus was sent from heaven? That would be a point. Or, it seems Jesus wasn't sent from heaven. That would be a point. And then I'd trust you to make that clear for me. But it, well, we're not finished yet. This one point of clarity continues. Whether he died on the cross or not, so ditto, a bid, go back to my previous statement, and whether or not he ascended. Oh, here is the, here is the clear point. Oh, after all that. Jesus is alive in our time. Hey, hey. So whether or not he was sent from heaven, whether he died on the cross, and whether he resurrected or ascended, the point is Jesus is alive in our time. What does that mean? That if all these questions are in squishy ambiguity, how can you make a clear point that Jesus is alive in our time? Maybe the idea of Jesus is alive in our time. And we all know what ideas can do. They have consequences. Remember, good ideas on human flourishing actually bring human flourishing. Bad ideas bring at least confusion, if not degrading. So here's to uh, summarize the main point of clarity. To believers and non-believers alike, Jesus matters. He still matters, he long has, and he always will. What follows as now the piece begins to develop its argument is not a piece of actual investigative journalism. It's a piece that's rife, if you will, with what I would call uh, man-centered, quote-unquote, investigation. Here it is, right here. There was something called the Jesus Seminar. Remember the Jesus Seminar, 1985? It was founded by Robert Funk. Remember Robert Funk? Under the sponsorship of the Westar Institute. You know what the Westar Institute is? Well, then you have some studying to do. Jeff and I are having a, an eye-to-eye conversation and head-shaking, moving gestures to answer questions. So the Jesus Seminar was founded in 1985 
with 50 critical biblical scholars. So remember Life's Promises, they interviewed all these people, and they also had laymen who were key prominent figures who had cause to contemplate Jesus. Now, what we need to understand about how this piece was put together, it was put together again under the auspices of investigative journalism. But it's obvious, uh, just as it is within the Jesus Seminar, that the movement of the day, when, when sources were selected uh, to give their investigative expert learned opinions on questions of Jesus's identity and his activity and his historicity, it, it's obvious that there was not objective source material chosen, but very selective or subjective. And when investigation launches with any prior commitments about the answers they want to come to, then selective resource bias is the result. And this is what I mean. If you look at the Jesus Seminar, well, let me just tell you about the Jesus Seminar. Beyond Robert Funk, 50 critical biblical scholars, 100 laymen, founded in 1985 by the Westar Institute. The Westar Institute is one of the most liberal, progressive, theological institutions uh, outside of a university that uh, we've known in the past 40 years or so. And so when we say a, a theological organization or institution is liberal or progressive, what we mean in this context is that any description of an Old Testament historical and cultural context and New Testament historical and cultural context is now put in a philosophical framework in these organizations, institutions, and universities. It's put in a philosophical framework that excludes anything metaphysical. What I mean is their presuppositions, their biases, their prior commitments refuse any proposition or truth claim that lies outside the boundaries of sensory perception. So this, this theological quote-unquote foundation is rooted in only things that can be seen, heard, touched, tasted, and smelled, the five senses of human perception. And as you know, or you should know, uh, any honest consideration of the biblical text, both Old Testament and New Testament, is rife, it's replete, it's overflowing and overwhelmingly focused on things that are beyond the boundaries of sensory perception. It, it is a description, the whole Bible is a description of God uh, before history, in history, and beyond history. And he is indeed the metaphysical one. He is the truth claim that lies outside the boundaries of our, sex, our sensory perception. And I know this is getting a little bit deep, but maybe I'm equipping you as you do these readings that are in popular culture. And so here's, uh, I want to stay with the Jesus Seminar. Uh, the Jesus Seminar was active in the 80s and 90s and in early into the, uh, this, this century. And this is how the seminar operated, again, within the framework of a, only things that can be seen, heard, touched, tasted, and smelled. They used colored beads to vote to decide on their collective view of the historicity of the deeds and sayings of Jesus. And I'll let you look into it more for yourself. It's actually kind of a, uh, a buffoonery, if you will, of, of intelligent people. 
Uh, they also produced new translations of the New Testament and the Apocrypha uh, to use as their textual sources. So this is what they came to. This, this is a distillation about the Gospels, the four stories of Jesus. Quote, many of the details in the Gospels we should recognize as legends created without any historical information. And the condition that requires redemption in humanity is despair. That's why Jesus went to the cross to experience despair on our behalf. And as to his death, Jesus, quote, chose martyrdom because he was a failure at influencing the crowds with his teaching and a failure at upending corrupt systems. So martyrdom on the cross was his only legitimate, quote, way out. One of the scholars that participated in the Jesus Seminar, also someone with a prior commitment to only things natural, sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell, he said this. He's a Dartmouth scholar. The gospel writers were creating a moral tale around a real man, and they had their reasons. I realized much of what they wrote wasn't literal history. I realized much of what we know about Jesus is novelistic, but I act as if it isn't. So, Life Magazine, under the banner of investigative journalism, the best they can do is say, based on all of these quote-unquote experts, clearly with a presupp presupposition and a bias of prior commitment, is that Jesus was a real man around which writers developed a tale of morality, how to behave. But much of this was not literal history. It's like reading a novel. But it's okay to act as if it isn't. That would be his definition of faith. And I would argue if that's the gospel, that is to be shunned. If that's the Jesus of quote-unquote history and legend, that is to be refused. If that is an accurate depiction of Jesus, then I'm still in my sin. So I wanted to just examine that from an investigative standpoint, uh, but it's actually opinion. And so keep that in mind as you read popular uh, stories about Jesus or popular exposés about Jesus uh, during the Christmas season. And as for the uh, Time magazine, Why Did Jesus Have to Die? I'm going to have to leave that for another time on the Pinocchio Project because I think we're well into our, our allotted time. Uh, I hope this was helpful. I know it's probably a little bit deeper thinking than you're used to doing around Christmas. You're kind of worried about what size the kiddos are and whether or not there's enough batteries in the gift boxes. Uh, but maybe this will help you get closer to the fact that we have, uh, I would say, more certainty than is offered uh, by these popular pieces. Who is Jesus, according to this investigative journalist, as we get ready to close? Uh, this scholar, Dr. Luke, he wrote in the mid to late first century. And this is what he said about his up-close and personal engagement with people who were directly connected to Jesus. He actually wrote a letter, a book, about Jesus' identity. Luke 1, 1 through 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write 
an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now that is a trustworthy statement of an investigative journalist whose primary interest is an orderly, truthful account of everything that eyewitnesses have experienced and the proof of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection follows in Dr. Luke's account. So you choose for yourself whether or not squishy or solid investigative journalism will be the standard fare for your Christmas content feast. For the Pinocchio Project, this is Mitch Friedman. Oh, shows no signs of stopping, but we have some corn for popping. And I don't know the rest of the words, though. I hope you find snow, you find snow, you find snow. Signing off.